Welcome to Ballistic Radio. Join us as we discuss hard-won self-defense lessons, as well as the information you need to survive a violent encounter. Listen as armed professionals, industry experts, national champions, and gunfight survivors answer all your firearms and self-defense questions while exploring your rights and responsibilities as an armed citizen. Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional's choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. And now, here's your host, John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional's choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. I'm your host, John Johnston. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, tales of great adventure at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. Coasting with me, it's a Danger Pixie actual, Melody Lauer. Ciao, Bella. That was Italian. See, you got that one. I got the last one, too. <clears throat> I just wasn't expecting it. So, hey, guess what? What's that, John? Are you okay? I, I think so. Is it, my voice... Yeah, it, it sounded like you hit puberty again. Yeah. Just real quick. It happens mm. from time to time. It does. It does. You're just not supposed to have it happen over and over again. This segment brought to you by Lucky Gunner and Federal Premium Ammunition. Whether there was a firefight... Or you do, in fact, want to worry about that little guy. You need more ammo. And when it's time to restock, you can't beat federal premium ammunition at LuckyGunner.com. With a shipping department that's always moving at 88 miles per hour, if I order a case of American Eagle from Lucky Gunner on a Thursday, it's at my doorstep, ready to shoot before the weekend starts. Head to LuckyGunner.com today to check out their in-stock lineup of federal premium ammunition. And remember, unless you're on fire or drowning, you can never really have too much ammo. So... It is a Facebook user episode. Facebook user Yay. episode question. Yay. Are we? I thought that was Jack Jack's line. No, I'm just saying like, no, yay, because it's. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to ask the first one? You want me to? Um, You can ask the first one if you, yeah, you know, because. Really? really? So there's a big part of me. All right, all right. Here, I'll ask the there's first a one. Really, there's a really big part of me that one's like, ah, let me pick no, the most here. technical gear question ever. Go here. ahead. Here. No, I, I got one. I just got one for you okay. because I think this is a good one. It's a very good question. And it's by Dan Pearson. And he asks whether or not you or I or both of us have any advice for training, how to train for a 3D world with 2D targets. There's a lot more to it, but that's the, the, the crux of the question. Um. That's a really, really good question. So I assume what he's talking about is how what, – what a lot of people don't realize is when we look at – we look at the targets that we generally shoot at if they're a humanoid target, and they are generally, not always, generally front-facing targets with very clearly defined scoring zones and stuff like that. The issue becomes that when you take a human th- uh, target – and start presenting at different uh, angles, center of high center mass, which is what a lot of people are teaching folks to shoot at, will no longer net the result that we're looking for as far as striking the major blood-bearing organs. For instance, if somebody presents themselves like at a three-quarter profile or something like that, where the heart is set in the human body um, is not center mass, now we have to bias back towards under their armpit. Um, uh, to to strike what we want to strike. So what can happen, and I'm aware of multiple instances of this, but we actually, uh, someone we interviewed, Justin Schneiders, is a really good example. Uh, Schneiders? Uh, I apologize, Justin. Um, 
when he shot at the individual he shot at, the guy was presented in profile but was wearing a really baggy hoodie. And the round he fired struck this dude center mass high in one of the folds of the hoodie um, and just left like a crease on him because he had not biased his point of aim back to where the dude was actually at. So how do we train around that? If you can get 3D targets, that's awesome. Um, 3D targets that have, uh, uh, you know, a scoring zone setback or some way to indicate, oh, yeah, my rounds were going where they went. Uh, I've seen cardboard targets that have, like, PVC pipe for a spine. I mean, there's all sorts of different ways to do it, but that would be ideal. Um, if that is not something that is easily easily done, either because of range restrictions or things like that, you need to be shooting at targets that are in different presentations, but also you need to be aware of where on that target you might be aiming. So the issue that I see is a lot of the 3D targets, yeah, they're th- or the 2D targets that have like a 3D representation of where the, the whatever we're shooting at is presented differently, the scoring zones are not in the correct spot. So if you can make it out to uh, a class that talks about tactical anatomy, and there are a lot of them that do, uh, or at least there are some of them that do. I know Chuck Haggard brings it up in his classes. Um, I know Mass Ayub talked about it um, in in Mag Forty when we were. He talked about it a little bit um, in that class we were at. Melody and I do a terminal ballistic demo and also a tactical anatomy portion of our every full sixteen hour class that we teach. Uh, I would highly recommend getting out to one of those so that if you're stuck training on two D targets you can at least understand what you're looking at and, and know how to sort of account for that. Does that kind of answer the question? Yeah. Um, yes. So there, there are, And there are two other things I kind of want to add to that. One, terms mean things. Uh, when we talk about center of mass, really center of mass on a human body is much lower. Uh, the actual center of mass, what we're talking about is that high center chest. So center of mass is different than high center chest in the targeting zones that we target for. Second, and so John's specifically talking about 3D body, you know, 3D target. But when we're also discussing a 3D world, um, that becomes a different thing as well because I've seen it. I know John has seen it where a lot of people who get trained on just a 180 range actually have difficulty applying skills in a 3D world in that um, it becomes very difficult for them to do things like shoot not perfectly centered to their target because they're used to these very particular lanes. Or it becomes very, very difficult for them to turn around uh, particularly safely using using good muzzle aversion techniques and stuff like that and move with a gun in their hand in a 3D world. Or, um, or make those kinds of decisions about where do I go from here? Where do I step from here? Where do I find a good angle from here? And that angle may not be a perfect front-facing presentation where you are perfectly in line with them because of... of it's like a compulsion that we... I've, well, we train it into people. Yeah, we really it, do. And, and it's weird because I've started noticing it a lot more now that I'm looking for it as far as like... 
videos of, of shootings where the person could shoot who they need to shoot from where they are. Yeah, from a side presentation or whatever. But then they will move to be standing right in front of them to do it. It's just really interesting. Yeah, but, but, but trying, trying to find trainings. There are trainings like that available um, where, yes, they will help you try to to learn how to maneuver in a 3D world. Yeah. So we got a couple minutes left in this segment, I believe, at least time for one more question. And I will ask, uh, Michael Ward asks, what's the dumbest advice you've heard in a gun shop? <laughs> um, I don't know if it was necessarily advice, but I had one person come in asking. I was I was a customer. I was waiting for a, getting a gun, and, and someone came in asking for a 1911 revolver. And the, mm. the guy behind the counter went, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't have any in stock right now, but, but we can maybe, order one. We can get one. And I'm sitting there. I, it was everything I, I could do not to just die. My, my Probably the most pervasive one that I hear that I just want to beat people is anyone who comes in saying, I want to get a, a gun for my girlfriend or my, my, you know, my significant other who's a female. And, well, you just you need to get her a small frame revolver like that. It's pervasive and it, I, it it drives me crazy every time. So it's funny. There are advantages to revolvers for newer shooters. There are. I'm not um, – yeah. And I know you're not. Yeah. It's just like – you know when somebody gets to – not the right answer because they usually will go for like these ultralight revolvers. But they get close to the right answer but they do it for the wrong reasons. Mine – my – that I hear the most or have heard the most, I haven't heard it in a long time because I avoid gun stores, uh, altering the scene of a shooting – uh, mm. Just drag them inside. And it's like no, no. Um, Throw a gun down by their hand. Yeah, no, don't don't do that. You're, don't alter scenes. You're you know, uh, you're going to jail once you. You can take a perfectly good self defense shooting and mess it up and turn it into a manslaughter or, uh, conviction super easy. So please, if you find that you've needed to shoot someone, uh, stick just, with those reasons. Yeah, yeah. So you got a question for me? I think oh, I've got enough time. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's a real, yeah, I think you a ask a question, one. I ask a question, you ask a question. Yeah. I ask um, a question. So uh, Trevor Paul says he's wanting a small semi-auto uh, 22 pistol for his nine-year-old. He's relatively small for his size, so he um, so that has been a problem so far. Any suggestions to look at? Um, the Ruger uh, Mark series, I think, are pretty decent. Um, it it really depends on what is the end goal, right? So like the 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 Rugers, um, I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head what mark they're on now, and I I know that's horrible, but um, you know you've got you've got those. There are a lot of um, like Smith and Wesson, the M and P's. They make the M and P twenty two compact. So, which if you start them early enough on a gun that has a larger caliber analog later on, it's easier to transition. But it depends if you just want a plinker, uh, something fun, or like. Later on, you're thinking, well, maybe they'll be interested in competition shooting or self-defense. So um, the Ruger 22s are awesome. Uh, the newer ones are a lot easier to take apart and put back together, so that's kind of nice. Uh, Smith & Wesson, I've had a lot of luck with those. Um, so that would that would kind of be my my thoughts. Um, but as a as a caveat, if you haven't just in general, if you haven't started out a, a, a child in a in shooting, a long gun helps them learn muzzle direction better. Well, that's true too. But hey, we got to go to break right now. You're listening to Ballistic Radio.
Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat, makers of the finest custom 1911s and scattergun since 1977, a legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the EDCX9, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy, superior ergonomics, and concealability with modern service, pistol capacity, and reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. We're answering your questions. It's a Facebook user question episode. So, I had one, and then the break happened, and I lost it. Where did it go? Oh, Lord. It's just kind of been one of those days so far. Um, Cure. I have a question. Uh, Glenn Doss. What is your current EDC for both of us, uh, and what has changed, and what has stayed the same? Hmm, that's an interesting. I mean, mine currently is the the Glock uh, 17 cut down to the 19 grip length. Uh, Who did that for you? That was a Boresight Solutions modification. Thank you, Ben. And uh, currently, it has an RMR on it, which that has been a big change for me. So as far as, like, big changes are concerned, that's probably the biggest change because – Unlike John, I actually do not have any trouble acquiring and having a clear front sight focus on iron sights. And so it's arguable as to whether or not I need a dot versus just want to play with one. Um, however, I am finding that some of the the increased information and the immediate feedback that I am getting with a dot uh, to be very beneficial, particularly at distance. And I am playing around with the concept of that learning curve, that shallow learning curve. It's not a steep callus learning curve. It's a shallow learning curve. It's pretty on, steep for um, me, but we can talk about that. In a no, second. I, anyway. Um, and the, the, the concept of the dot is slower and I'm, I'm trying to very ob, uh, objectively, not subjectively, measure that and see if this is something that could be a benefit to someone who really – I do not have vision issues in that way and, and to see if this could actually be a, a huge benefit for me overall, not just a distance because it has been a clear advantage there. But overall, is there an advantage for me? Um, so uh, I am using – what. <laughs> there was a meme that was floating around a while ago that my buddy Caleb Giddings made where it's uh, it's the, the meme of the dude walking next to his girl and then there's the girl walking the other way. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, and it, it says John Johnston over the dude. Then it says uh, Glock, the, the girl walking next to me, and then looking over my shoulder is any gun I'm getting paid to shoot. <laughs> uh, Which makes sense. It does. Yeah, it's my job. But so, like, I stick with Glocks. Right now I'm running a Boresight um, – uh, Gen 5 34 Duty Series. Uh, I am using an RMR because irons were no longer working well for me, or at least not well enough. Um, I was not sure of my shots. I couldn't call my shots past about 10 yards or so, which I found unacceptable uh, for the level of shooting that I want to be able to do. Uh, as far as uh, use of Volan Gearworks, uh, what I've changed recently, I'm using a Biothane uh, ACR belt which is new at Volan. I like that a lot. Um, I have not been carrying a fixed uh, blade centerline knife nearly as much. Uh, and that started because I needed to get a new sheath for the one that I have, and I haven't gotten around to it. But it's also just I haven't, I haven't felt the need for it. 
I have been playing around with carrying a reload and like an actual um, magazine pouch because I picked up one of uh, Jam Custom Kydex's new AIWB mag pouch. And while I didn't have a problem AIWB carrying a gun as a fat guy, um, a mag pouch was difficult. And this one has worked pretty well. I've also lost a little bit of weight, which I think was a question someone else had later on. We can talk about that, I guess. But um, that's where I'm at. Um, I carry spray everywhere I go, carry a light everywhere I go. That's that's kind of the, the big stuff. So Well and I and you didn't let me talk about my other gear. I didn't? Not really. Do you want to? Well, I so the one thing we that We carry I, a lot of the same well, stuff. Well we do, but but one of the things I think that's very distinguishable between you and me as an example is I'm not able to carry as much on my person. So I've got a lot of I've got a lot of prioritizing that needs to happen as far as um, you know, where things are. So I commonly will have medical gear that I might have a tourniquet on my person, but the rest of my medical gear is in my purse. Or maybe I have a pepper spray in my purse because right now I don't think there is a very, very good intuitive way to to carry pepper spray on your body consistently, particularly for people like me who don't have very deep pockets. So yeah, I mean, that, I can get away with a lot because I'm wearing like cargo pants. Yeah, I mean, you saw the pants I had on the other day. The, literally, the, the po- pocket was two inches shallow. You can't right. carry anything in there. So that's uh, something to be considered. How much time do we have left? Can I ask you another question? Yeah, we got okay. to, I think we have time. Um, and I'm only asking this because whenever we have a question where multiple people start asking it, but I, it's good to bring up. So this person asked why you would carry a tourniquet but not wear soft body armor. And someone else asked whether or not there was a an application for soft body armor for civilians. And that was Nick Crulo and Lee Bollinger. Lee so, Bollinger asked about what why a tourniquet but not soft body armor. And then Nick, Nick asked, asked about, about soft body armor. Yes. So I don't know if Lee was like trying to – belittle like the idea of carrying a tourniquet or if that was a genuine question or not i'll i'll treat it as a genuine question though i don't know um so a lot of people look at it we have all got levels of that seems like a lot to carry that seems like a lot to carry that seems like a lot to carry uh why a civilian wouldn't choose soft body armor or is soft body armor necessary for a civilian uh Nothing's necessary unless you need it. So I guess if you get shot in the chest and don't have soft body armor on, you needed soft body armor that day. Now, how likely is that? Uh, that's um, that's a completely, completely separate thing, right? But for the most part, I think that a private citizen going about their day-to-day wearing soft body armor is probably um, a lot of trouble to go to for what their realistic threat profile is. However, comma. If you transport large amounts of cash over known routes, and it is known that you transport large amounts of cash uh, or jewels or something like that, is soft body armor a good idea? Maybe. Um, if you are engaged in activity that you know leads people to believe that you've got resources they might want to take, and and you are stuck in look, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna denigrate you for doing it if you choose to do it and that doesn't interrupt your lifestyle right as far as why you would have a tourniquet on you and not soft body armor because literally if every single person in the u.s carried a tourniquet and knew how to use one do you know how many preventable deaths um would be averted uh a ton you know there'd be uh there'd be a, a bunch of things you know in my lifetime before i started carrying tourniquets i can think of three major injuries that i saw 
um, where the individual ended up surviving, but it would have been a lot more sure of a thing if I had had a tourniquet to put on them and knew how to do it. Uh, and you look at like the mass casualty events, if every person there had their own tourniquet, ton of people would survive those things. So I think as a private citizen, carrying a tourniquet is an amazingly good idea. Um, not because of, you know, if you carry something to put holes in people, you need to know how to fix holes in people, simply because sometimes stuff happens and you need to stop blood flow. So Well, and the, the one thing that we just have to get out of the way, too, if you've ever worn soft body armor, it's not a comfortable thing. It's not something that is, that is enjoyable to do or at all like, yeah, this is a daily sustainable thing. Well, But carrying a tourniquet, a small little foldable thing that you can stick in your back pocket or in a purse or whatever, is far more sustainable and, and something that is very reasonable. It's not. It is actually not reasonable to ask people to wear soft body armor on a daily basis unless they are in a position where that may be necessary. Um, it, it's not that it can't be. It's never comfortable, but it can It can be. Man, I mean, like, it, it can, I'm, I'm, yeah, it, it can be. I'm saying, but it's not reasonable to ask everybody to do that. It is reasonable to ask people to have a tourniquet. Well, I think. Yeah, and reasonable gets into the, the it. It's actually a, a more interesting question than one would would um, look at initially, and we could probably talk a lot more about it. But we've <laughs> what, got the to, reasonability of it. Well, yeah, it's like you know, we only got about a minute left in this segment, so um, I I don't want to get too in depth on it. But um, don't chase the white rabbit. Yeah, reasonable is one of those things. Reasonable to who? And the need is one of those things where I don't get to determine someone else's idea of what they need. And, and that's where we kind of need to... Uh, that's where you're chasing the white rabbit. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, you may think it's weird for someone to wear soft body armor on a day-to-day, and I think it's weird for someone to do that. But there are people that think us carrying a flashlight, let alone a gun, is weird. Yeah. So where does that end? Anyway, we're answering your questions. It's a Facebook user question episode. You're listening to... Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. This segment also brought to you by Surefire. Know your target and what is beyond it. But how can you really know your target? By shining a really bright light at it, and that's where Surefire comes in. From the new 1200 lumen EDCL 2T handheld, or 500 lumen EDCL 1T handheld to the 1000 lumen XH35 or 1500 lumen M600DF Scout Light. Surefire can make sure you never have to yell Aziz Light ever again. Surefire, the professional choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Remember, you get 20% off at the surefire.com web store just for listening to Ballistic Radio and entering the discount code Aziz Light. A Z I Z L I G H T, no space, 20% off everything except batteries and suppressors. So, we are answering your questions. I actually like these shows a lot more than I used to because we don't – I feel like we didn't do many of them for a while. And I sort of missed it. So I'm glad we're back to – We're back. Something like that. Um, so here's, here's a question. Uh, and this is more of a question that was directed at me. But uh, Jason Duke Young, what he asked was, why do you carry a Glock when you shoot other guns better? Um. And that that is a misunderstanding of something that I have said. I don't like Glocks very much, but I carry one. Uh, but what is your determination for if you carry a gun or not? Because I know that you um, 
you played around with carrying a SIG P320 for a while, mm-hmm. and you liked the ergonomics on that gun better, but didn't shoot it as well as the Glock. So I'm not a gun ADD person in the in the sense that I like to like I like shooting guns. Don't get me wrong, but the guns that I want to carry that could be my life-saving equipment. I want to be as familiar with those, and I want to be not bouncing around a lot with different platforms. Like, I carried a 1911 for nearly seven, eight years before I switched to Glocks, and I've carried Glocks almost exclusively since then. So um, I've shot other guns, but for me, um, the the gun that I want needs to be very uh, controllable, and the largest caliber that I can maintain control of uh, easily, or at least easy enough to get repeatable hits, I like having a full-size grip so I don't feel like I'm going to lose my gun. I like having good sights. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. Like if I'm in a cocktail dress, am I going to carry a you know Glock 19 with a RMR? No, that's not going to be reasonable or, or realistic to that environment, to that attire. So I might carry something else. But in general, if I can, I've got a very, very specific criteria for what I want in a what I call a fighting gun. And to me, self-defense, I want a fighting gun. So like some people say, like, I've got a self-defense gun, and I've got a training gun, and then I've got a fighting gun. Uh-uh. My self-defense gun to the best of my ability, is going to be a fighting gun. So that's kind of my criteria there. And as far as, like, how well I shoot it, there are a lot of different factors, I think, in the quote-unquote shootability of a gun. So what what are we talking about? Are we talking about making 150-yard, you know, precision shots? Well, the gun that I would want for that job is probably not a Glock 17, honestly. It would probably be something else. But... We're not talking about that. We're talking about a fighting gun here. I want something that's reliable, something that has actually a heavier trigger pull, something that um, is not a, you know, super light, crisp trigger. I want something that has, you know, there are sights that are good for a range of different engagements, not just sights that are set up perfectly for a precision shot, that kind of stuff. So we're looking at an all-encompassing sort of application fighting gun versus a gun very specifically modified for a singular task, if that makes sense. Well, And, and I think the Glock <clears throat> fits the bill. So Yeah, so I hate Glocks. I, I mean, like, stock Glocks to me, like, are just... There's nothing in none of your clocks are stock anymore. Well, there's a reason for that. Stock clocks to me are just some of the most soulless, unenjoyable guns in existence. They kind of are. Uh, that having been said, they they work as well or better than most every other gun as far as reliability goes. They have a lot of um, a lot of aftermarket support. And the other thing too is I shoot them better than other guns. Now, why would I carry a gun other than a Glock? And this is something that. I remember talking about with Todd Green when he was still alive. Uh, life is too short to shoot guns that you don't enjoy. So, like, there are plenty of times in the past where, where I've carried a, a custom 1911, and, and I enjoyed shooting it more. And the reason why none of my Glocks are stock is because I won't – well, I will, but I don't enjoy shooting stock Glocks because I have to fight against them to do what I want, and I will turn them into guns that I enjoy shooting, which is why I – you know, any any Glock that I'm going to spend a serious amount of time with, I send to Ben at Boreside Solutions because, in my opinion, he's the best in the world at what he does. Um, but here's something I will say. 
why here why would you carry a gun that is not the best gun you shoot and this is something that i don't think gets talked about uh if you carry a gun that is not the best gun that you shoot but you have a lot of confidence in it that's an important thing too having been involved in a couple of situations where i had to fill my hand with a gun suddenly um there's something too uh knowing that 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 feeling of oh i got this i i know this this gun is comfortable i have confidence in my ability to perform with it and and that is a very i think important feeling to have in the moment where you feel like um if i need to do something here i know that i can accomplish it so at the end of the day make the decisions that that make sense for you i would strongly recommend to not have a carry rotation just pick something work with that um but you know whatever if you like a gun that i like springfield xdms i don't like those i don't find them to be uh, on a long enough timeline reliable guns in my experience i know plenty of people though that do and honestly i don't care if that's what you're cool with then good for you i'm glad that we all like guns i'm glad that we agree on the second amendment i'm glad that you're taking your self-defense seriously enough to carry a gun Hopefully you have paired that with training and stuff like that as well. Anyway. My turn. Mm. Chris North asked if, um, do you see any value in sizing larger targets, say an FBIQ, down to an 8.5 by 11 and shooting at the appropriate distance? Uh, printing targets is easier and on demand. What are the pros and cons? Um, for live fire, no. Actually, I don't. For dry fire, yes. Yes, I do. So the issue with live fire, if you're trying to you're trying to get distance by sizing the target smaller, the problem becomes I know plenty of people that can shoot a one hole group at three yards that as soon as I bump them past seven yards, they're all over the place because whatever errors they are making is is magnified um, once once they get at distance. So I have never personally found much use um, or very limited use for taking a large target, sizing it smaller, and then shooting at it. If we're going to do that, let's just shoot at a small target, like a one-inch square or two-inch circle. We can focus on what we need to focus on at that point, which is um, consistent side alignment, consistent trigger press, recoil control at speed on a demanding target. That's cool. Now, for dry fire, yes. Yes, absolutely. Because you're um, at least visually um, recreating what you would see for that target at distance. So the the visual component is there, and that's important for dry fire. Uh, and you're not getting the um, you don't need to see the um, the the hits on paper so much to get what you're needing to get visually. Does that make sense? I feel like I kind of like went around the corner a little too fast and started to skid <laughs> off the. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense, and I, I think that um, the like you said, the the perception is that. If I scale down a target now, first of all, if you shoot, if if you're just wanting to print targets to, because it's easier, cheaper, or you perceive it's cheaper, if you actually do a cost analysis, it totally depends on you know <laughs> how much it costs for you for ink and all this stuff. Sometimes it is cheaper to just go and buy designated targets, but if you find that it is cheaper to just print out a couple of targets and you print a scaled down FBI or you print a scaled down anything target. Um, are you going to see benefits from shooting at those targets? Of course you will. If you're out there practicing and you're practicing well, you're going to see the benefits. It doesn't really matter the type of, of target that you are shooting at. Uh, you could you could see benefits going and shooting a 
silly zombie target if that's if that's what as long as you are out there and you are practicing and you are practicing well so i think that's the ultimately the test the real test there is is are you getting out there and are you practicing and if you're doing that with a scaled down target or you're doing that with watermelons i don't care as long as you're out there and practicing and practicing well um man we got a we only got a minute left in this segment so uh are you having fun I, I haven't asked you in a while. Do you are you fulfilled in your job? Do you like doing the show? That's or? a random question. I just figured that I, I would put on the spot. Of course, yes, boss. Yes, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm very fulfilled in my job. Thank wow. you, sir. Wow, <laughs> sounds like I don't feed you or something. Anyway, hey, we're answering your questions. It's a Facebook user question episode, and you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. It is a Facebook user question episode, and we're answering your questions. Um, so we got one from John C. McGuire. Uh, let's say due to your schedules, you have a difficult time making it to training classes. What are the best, most reputable online or DVD training resources for self-defense and first aid? So it's funny you ask that because one, I think of a great resource that is being overlooked is if you do an ACDLN membership, um, not only do you get the benefits, and we have no affiliation with them, so this is not we're, like we're a, just members. Yeah, we're, we're just we're just members. Well, but, hold on, we are friends with. A couple of people that are so here. Let let full disclosure. We're friends. Yes. Yeah, some of the people that run ACDLN, um, we are friends with, good friends with some of them. But we have no financial no, relationship no. with them at all. But one of the things, and no kickback. So like, I paid full price. Mel, yes. Paid full yes. Price. Absolutely. There's no discounts. But, anything. Yeah. Like that. Just just to be clear, though. Just um, to be clear. But not only it's like I think like three hundred and twelve bucks or something like that a year. What is it now these days? Yeah, I just renewed for like a hundred bucks. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I'm I'm, I'm thinking two oh, memberships. Oh, yeah. You're yeah, thinking family. Yeah, I'm thinking family. But anyways, one of the fantastic things that you get, not only do you get the membership, not only do you get all the benefits of the post-shooting incident, expert witness, all that stuff, but you also get sent in the mail um, continuing education materials. And along with those materials is a whole series of DVDs by actually vetted um knowledgeable instructors. So this is not just YouTube content where you have no idea whether or not it's good content or not. These are the real deal people. And you can watch those videos and absolutely, absolutely trust the information that they're giving. They got videos with William April. They have William, uh, uh, videos. I think they have some with Claude Warner. And I mean, that honestly is one of, I can't tell you how much I think that is an underutilized resource that comes with an ACDLN membership. So I would start there. If you are limited in your training budget, not only do you get protection there, but you also get some really good online or actually offline because they're DVDs. They're, you know, you get some great DVD training resources. What do you think, John? Um, no, I mean, that's a good one. Known YouTube sources would probably be uh, good. Um so one of the big things is is what we're trying to do is prime recognition so that when we find ourselves in a situation, we recognize what the situation is, can initiate action, right? Um, so I think John Correa at Active Self-Protection has done a really good job of highlighting what 
a lot of typical self-defense things are going to look like and showing video examples of that. Now, he and I occasionally disagree on stuff, but overall, uh, I think that, that that would be an incredible resource. Um, I'll plug a project that I've been working on, which is Lucky Gunner's Start Shooting Better series. Uh, pretty much everything that Chris at Lucky Gunner puts out is Absolutely. excellent content. Uh, all of Paul Gomez's videos are still on YouTube, and the man was a genius. And the the information is is mostly evergreen. But then you can look for stuff like Craig Douglas is putting up. There's a lot of the dudes that we have on the show also put out content. Go check it out. All right. So it's your turn to ask a question. It is indeed. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Mike J. We kind of talked about this, but. Uh, Mike J says he's looking for the perfect pistol. Does it exist? Uh, man, perfect for what? Are we saying self-defense or something? Here, I'll I'll say self-defense. Does it exist? Uh, we can get close. Um, and perfect is one of those things. Really, what we needed to do is is work, hold a lot of BBs, um, and be easy to hit stuff with. I, you know. I think an out-of-the-box factory gun, probably the best plastic people popper, as Tam would call it currently, uh, would be the M2.0 com- uh, M- M2. Smith & Wesson series, uh, either the full size or the compact. And the reason I say that is because it's got pretty good sights. The grip texture is perfect. Your ergonomics are pretty good. Um, and they, they now have a Glock 19-sized model. Uh, as far as pistol to modify. I'm a big fan of the Boresight guns, uh, the Boresight Glocks. You know, as far as perfect pistol out of the box, uh, it, it there's too many variables. You know, there's just, there's too many variables. I have my idea of what I'd do if a gun company came to me and said, hey, John, we're going to let you build a gun, but I'm going a, I'm to a save that one for when somebody <laughs> writes me a check with some zeros on it. So, right. Um, let's see. I think we've got a couple of more minutes at least. Having a hard time keeping track of time for whatever reason. Hard time keeping track of time. Um, let's see. Mark's. I'm sorry, brother. How do you all secure firearms from the kids? How do you all stage defensive firearms and still keep them secured? That's actually a fantastic question. I thought so. Um, really, honestly, on body, on a responsible, sober adult is, I believe, one of the best places because we hear over and over and over, especially when you have a very mechanically minded and curious child of kids who, even if you have a safe or something in your home, they find ways to defeat it. They go on YouTube, whatever. Um, they're curious, they're mechanically minded, they can, and children are, because they have to be, perfect problem solvers. If, you know, their their entire world is a big problem that they need to solve. How do I walk? How do I eat? How do I, you know, they are figuring things out at an amazing and incredible rate. And so if you underestimate that, you are setting yourself up for a disaster. Um so one, I think that you absolutely should have if you before you if you have kids before you get a gun, you should have a safe. You really should. Um, we have three 
RFID quick is that quick access safes around the house, one on either side of our bed, one for my husband's um, gun, one for my own. And then we have one downstairs. We also have another additional handgun safe. And we have a large, very large, you know, long gun, multiple, you know, huge safe. So we've got multiple safes all over the place. But in general, my kid can't come and take my gun out of my holster without me knowing about it. Can he go upstairs and defeat the safe while I'm doing the dishes or doing the laundry? Yeah, he could if he were so inclined or she were so inclined. Um, but he can't take it off of me. So, but obviously we can't shower, we can't sleep. I mean, some people try, but, um, you know, there are times when we are going to be disarmed. And, and in which case, I think you must, if you've got um, little ones in your home, you must have some way to properly secure that. And I think quick access safes, either through biometrics or through RFID, I think RFID is a little bit more reliable personally. Um, than biometrics, yes. Yes, than biometrics. That's what I mean, yes. Thank you for the clarification. I think that's the way to go. Um, yeah, the RFID would be uh, – so I, I'm i still very distrustful of electronics, which is weird for – I guess I'm a millennial. I'm like at the very tail end of what a millennial is, but – Yeah, they got so many different – Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, apparently Mike Foley doesn't like me much. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I was making a USPSA joke. Anyway, um, I don't trust electronics as much as – is other people do so i like mechanical push button stuff um still electronic not no i'm <laughs> i'm saying the actual me, no that's mechanical mechanical push button not not electronic push button but like the actual anyway uh just understand if you're doing a biometric one um we sweat sometimes when or get clammy when we're under a lot of stress and then all of a sudden sudden the thumbprint doesn't work so just be aware of that We've only got a minute or two left. I think we have enough time for one more question. If you ask it quick, Melody. Okay. Uh, Devin Wheeler, what are some trusted resources for after a violent encounter? Is um, is the community doing itself a disservice by not addressing after-shoot scenarios because it's not cool or fun? Um, I really think I, – I think Mass Ayub has done the most work on this problem, uh, and I would strongly recommend you go take MAG-20. Um or or buy his books. I, you know, he he is he is sort of the I'm going to say grandfather of that, and I hate to because I consider Mass a friend, so I don't want to I don't want to make him feel old. But he's been he's been talking about and writing about problem two, so problem one being the gunfight, problem two being the legal battle for a long time. So I don't think there's any reason to reinvent the wheel. I would just go straight there. Uh, read Mass Ayub's stuff on that topic, and you should be good to go. So, But that actually takes us to the very end of the show. So remember, 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 remember. Make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And hey, keep leaving those five-star review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. It helps us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe. See you next week.